0: Welcome to the Ringer Podcast Network. Our rewatchable spinoff show on Luminary called Rewatchables 1999 is taking a little summer break, but we'll be back in the fall with more movies, including Eyes Wide Shut, Never Been Kissed, and more. In the meantime, we're launching a new show on Luminary about another influential moment in 1999 called Break Stuff The Story of Woodstock 99. The pod will dive deep on the iconic music festival and how its success and failures left its mark on history. The series begins on Tuesday, July 9th, and will be coming to you every Tuesday for eight weeks. So make sure to check out Break Stuff, the story of Woodstock 99 on Luminary. Welcome to the Ringer NFL Show. I'm Robert Mays, joined as always
1: by Kevin Clark. Kevin, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing great. I'm ready to talk about fantasy football. I'm ready for the 4th of July. What a good... I feel like the 4th of July is the start of the NFL season, so to get going on fantasy stuff right now, I think it's perfect.
0: I agree, and it's a good time to kind of get your fantasy research started. Everyone's kind of having a quiet week. You know, if you're home with family or you're kind of sitting around in the early parts of the day, you can start kicking around some of the materials that are out there. And one of the new materials that will be out there very soon is EstablishTheRun.com led by our good friend Evan Silva and a bunch of other people and we have the pleasure of welcoming Evan to the show today. Evan how are you doing?
2: I'm doing really well this is one of my favorite podcasts to listen to so I'm abnormally kind of nervous for it because I listen to literally every show that you guys do Um, and I think that you guys put out amazing content and um, I'm privileged this is a great opportunity thank you so much for asking me to to come
0: on. We're so happy to have you. I cannot tell you how much I've read your work over the years. You and I have spent time together. You were very gracious and did my live show with me last year. We raised some money for charity, which I still appreciate. Your matchup columns are an established part of my weekly routine during the season. So the pleasure is all ours, my friend. I can tell you that. Thanks, man. So we're going to talk about all things fantasy football today, if you cannot... Predict that with Evan Sova on the show. We're going to talk about fantasy from a big-picture perspective in the sense of what fantasy can teach us. We're going to talk about some more specific player-driven things, the type of stuff that you will use for your draft. So, Kevin, why don't you kick us off? What do you want to know first and foremost from Evan about the fantasy world?
1: Yeah, so I'm actually, I have an announcement. I'm going to play fantasy this year.
0: Wow! That is so exciting! This is something we've gone back and forth about for so long. The
1: last time I played fantasy, I believe, was 2004. Um, Marshall Falk was a coveted, coveted player. Um, Jeremy Shockey went in the second round of that last draft. I did. That's all you need to know. So what is the
0: reasoning here? Can you just walk us through very quickly? Why? Why now?
1: I have some friends who, who play it and I feel like it's just a really good way. I'm sorry. Let me rephrase that. Everybody I know plays it, but specifically I have a lot of friends who've been selling me on. It's just a different way to understand the league and it's something i, totally I want to talk about with mm-hmm. with evan here because you monitor things differently throughout the off season you you have a vested stake in it i'm you and i maze are never going to gamble on the sport just because it just ethically it's it's a weird look Um, when you're in a locker room after you just lost 75 bucks on the Seahawks and you're like Bobby (laughs) Wagner what the hell was that? So you never want to end into a situation like that so I will never I don't think I ever placed a bet on a game in the NFL Um, but I feel like fantasy is a little bit more low stakes so my question for you Evan is in 2019, it seems like you know maybe the last five years football has just rewritten itself, um, and the sport changes not just from year to year but month to month. Um, monitoring it from a fantasy football perspective, what matters in 2019 that didn't matter five, ten years ago, as far as how the league has changed.
2: Well, I think that we just there's the analysis of the sport is is much much better. Yeah, and um, you know it begins with media coverage of the sport. I remember the first year maybe the second year that I worked at Roto World, I think it was 2005, 2006, there was about a two or three month span where we didn't do a single Roto World player news blur from the Raiders. <laughs> because I don't even think that, I don't even think anybody was covering the team. Like, I think they were like assigned to go cover, you know, the Golden State Warriors or something. Yeah. Um, and so the, just the media coverage of, the sport itself has grown so much and that's largely due to fantasy football. It's largely due to, um, you know, sports betting interests. Um, and I think that, but I think that because of the, the the growth of the coverage of the sport, and now we have people like you guys and we have people like Josh Hermsmeyer, we have people like Warren Sharp. Um, we understand what teams are doing better and in fantasy. And I think that this is especially true in dynasty leagues. I know that Mays plays in at least one dynasty league, um, you want to emphasize <laughs> that you help me with
0: often. <laughs>
2: <okay>. <laughs> you want to emphasize investing in good teams, organizations that are running at near optimal levels. We've seen that with the Rams and their use of play action. You guys talk about it all the time. Investing in them in fantasy over the last two years has been extremely profitable, from any of their receivers to Todd Gurley uh, to Jared Goff. The Patriots have obviously been doing this for years. Last year, the Colts were really good uh, at at, at their play-calling, decision-making, and investing in them was was really profitable. Eric Ebron was super cheap in drafts. He scored 14 touchdowns. Andrew Luck, mostly due to the injury, but he was pretty cheap. He wound up being a great value. T.Y. Hilton battled some injuries, but he led the NFL in receiving yards from weeks 10 through 17. Marlon Mack broke out. The Panthers were another team that was really well-coached offensively. Warren Sharp talks about this in his book extensively, they were really aggressive about throwing the ball on first downs. Uh, They went from 46% pass rate on first downs in 2017 to 57% last year. So, uh, and under, under Norv Turner, they were attacking first down base defenses with the pass. Uh, And when those, when those defenses were geared up to stop the run, Christian McCaffrey had a monster season. DJ Moore really flashed, even though his playing time was limited. Cam Newton before his his arm, unfortunately, fell off. Uh, He was the the number five overall fantasy quarterback in weeks one through 12. So I think that identifying teams that are doing smart things beforehand is a way that we can get an edge. And because the coverage of the sport has improved so dramatically in a pretty short time span, we have a better chance to be able to identify those teams.
0: So I think that one of the things I'm so interested in with the fantasy just industry in general is it seems like there's such a saturation there's so much stuff out there right now and as you're trying to predict Mm -hmm. how good guys are going to be against all these other people when with when you're talking about all this information what kind of predictive stats have you turned to in the last three or four years that you feel best about as you're really putting together your season-long outlook in june july
2: well we start at quarterback touchdown rate regression is really really big and it's really simple it's just touchdown passes divided by pass attempts. And quarterbacks tend to regress to their career norms after posting above expectation or below expectation touchdown rates the year prior. Matt Ryan was a great example of this. You know, of course, he had that monster year in 2016. Well, in 2017, he sharply regressed uh, in terms of his touchdown rate. He went from like a 7.1% touchdown rate to 3.8% in 2017, and then he became a screaming value in 2018. He bounced back 5.1% touchdown rate. He added 15 touchdown passes to his total from 2017. And he was a number two overall fantasy quarterback. On the flip side, Deshaun Watson, his touchdown rate got chopped nearly in half uh, from his rookie year touchdown rate. He was a little bit of a disappointment for people who were taking him like in the second round, which is where mm-hmm. his ADP uh, wound up. At running back, just sheer. Volume projection is most important, but uh, Herms Meyer and Mike Clay have also shown that broken tackle rate is a good predictor of year-over-year running back success. If you just want to kind of use one stat that shows how good a running back is as a runner, it's broken tackle rate. Um, and obviously we want, we want our running backs to, to be at least capable of catching passes, and it doesn't matter if you're in a PPR or a non-PPR league because if your running back team falls behind, you want to make sure that that running back is still involved and in not getting subbed out for a passing down specialist. This is one of the reasons that I have a hard time getting behind Darius Geis this year, because I don't think that the Redskins will be very good. And then when they fall behind, Chris Thompson is going to be on the field. And then at receiver and tight end, we're looking at target volume. We're looking at air yards. Uh, we want our receivers and our tight ends to have big target projections, but we would prefer that they're getting big play chances down the field yards per route run is a bit of an all-encompassing stat here. And um, it's proven to be really predictive or maybe the most predictive metric that pro football focus produces.
0: Well, Julio has it four years in a row, right? Yeah. I mean, Julio he, I mean four years crazy. in a row, he's led the Perfect. league in it. I mean, it, it, that's all you need to know. If he's the one leading the league, that's probably a pretty good stat.
1: One of the things, Evan, that I'm impressed with the entire fantasy community, but you in particular, and I think Warren does a great job of it as well, is monitoring the news reports to figure out where a team is going. You know, I mean, I think everybody reads the Devontae Parker is ready to break out thing every single spring, (laughs) and people have to now take it with a grain of salt, but I think you guys do a really good job of cutting through that. How do you monitor those sort of quotes and those clips to help yourself in fantasy. And, and what has that taught you just in the sense that are there coaches who are just completely full of BS? Are there ones who are more honest than others? If it, are, are there, you know, teams, that if they say someone's going to get their bulk of the carries, they mean it and vice versa.
2: Yeah. Another good example is every off season we hear about how, uh, how much improvement Jordan Howard has made as a receiver.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, that's
2: become an annual off season theme at this point, we're hearing it again in Philadelphia, um, putting all the news together. I mean, it's, it's kind of a, you kind of go on a field base. You really take everything with a grain of salt, you know, and you kind of compile all your data points. You compile your statistical projections, you compile, you know, what you know about the coach speak, you know, maybe the coaching history, um, and you just kind of put it all together and you make an educated guess, I think, or at least that's that's how I do it. Um, I just, I want to know a bunch of different information. I'm not trying to like when I've really gotten in trouble with projections in the past, it's when I hang on to one statistic or I hang on to one thing that a coach said, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, you know, injury history is another thing that goes into it when, you know, when I've made my best projections, I have, you know, used like six, seven, eight different data points to drive, um, what is at the end of the day going to be. A decision, whether it's you know who am I going to draft, am I going to trade for this guy, how much I am I going to spend on this guy, uh, you know, in the waivers process or with your uh, free agent budget, you know, um, it's just trying to trying to use a bunch of different data points to arrive at the best decision I could possibly make.
1: Evan, who's the most BS filled coach?
2: Oh man, that's that's a tough one. Um, I don't even I don't even know what what, what are your what, what what would be some ideas from you guys.
1: Well, uh, so in the past, I don't know if he's still doing it. In the past, John Gruden is just A number oh, yeah. 1. I mean, just, you'll oh, t- he, and, and I would also yeah. say Rex Ryan was like this too, where it's like August True. 5th and he's t- he's putting somebody in Canton and then they just get cut in the first wave of cuts. <laughs> I would say I would say those two guys in my experience, especially when Gruden was in Tampa, uh, he would just hype up guys all the time. I mean, you know, third receivers. Who some guys will be jealous. honest
2: about some things and then, you know, dishonest about other things. Or they may even actually believe what they're saying at the time. And then they prove to be false because that's just the way the season goes. So, yeah. I don't know. That would actually be an interesting kind of study to go back and, you know, just look at as many quotes as you could from each coach and be like, hey, you know, this guy kind of tells the truth. Yeah. Sometimes, and this guy doesn't. You know, I remember... Like the like, uh, Sean Payton kind of got this reputation for being not a you know not a liar but an exaggerator, I guess, when he was really talking up C.J. Spiller one off season, and yeah. then you know a couple off seasons later, he started talking up Michael Thomas. Michael Thomas, yeah, I remember that. And people were like, oh well, we can't trust him because he talked up C.J. Spiller. We should have trusted Sean Payton about Michael Thomas.
1: Yeah, it's it's really it's really fascinating. I think a lot of times you actually have to. Figure out. I remember with Rex Ryan and spe- uh, specifically. I remember being at Jets camp and he was talking, I think he was talking about David Clowney. And then the special teams coach, Mike Westoff, at the same time was like, Yeah, they're going to make the team. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it, it, you have to, you have to almost pit them against each other and figure out who's telling the truth when you're just, you know, looking for a late round flyer based off of what a coach says or what a position coach says. A,
2: a big coach speak thing last year was. And, oh man, Ron Rivera and, and even North Turner got laughed at about this. They both said that Christian McCaffrey was going to be a bell cow back. Yeah, you know they were like twenty-five to thirty touches per game, and really much of the the, the football cognoscente were were laughing at them. But if you would have followed that coach speak, uh, you know you really would have been in a good position at that time. Yeah, it happens. Yeah, it, it happens absolutely. So that's why you just have to make it kind of a small part of your process definitely should be a part of your process, but it should be a pretty small one, you know, and adding, adding it into the rest of what you believe about a player. See, the thing was with Christian McCaffrey at the time that those coaches said that, you know, he was like a third round pick in fantasy. Mm -hmm. And, um, but, but by the end of the, but then we saw how they were using him in preseason. That was another data point that we had to add to our process. You know, he jumped up into like the late first where, where he both, Belonged. You actually
0: belonged at the top of the first. So Evan, I have every year when I go into my draft prep, I always have a few kind of archetypes of players that I typically try to find and that they come up every year seemingly. And that's why I try to hit it over and over. One's just kind of the scheme change guy. Who's going to be helped the most by a coaching change that's being overlooked by past production. That's almost irrelevant. Now another is kind of that mid round running back that was drafted in the third or fourth round that could be the starter on his team by the end of the year. Another guy is kind of the target share shift guy. Somebody leaves, he's gonna step into a new role. Again, past production is not necessarily indicative. Another guy is the kind of the post the post type second year receiver that we're just not thinking enough about. So as you go through kind of those guys, let's start with the scheme change guys. Who that changed coaches this year do you think is gonna get the biggest is gonna make the biggest leap, is gonna get the biggest boost by having somebody new in their calling plays.
2: Oh, I think this is a real, real easy one. It's David Johnson. Because yeah. he's gonna go from an offense that like utilized bunch formations to an offense that's going to play a four wide air raid spread attack. I mean, you could not get a bigger, you know, a starker contrast between what Mike McCoy was doing and what we ex- at least expect Cliff Kingsbury to do. I mean, it's going to increase the the space on the field. Another big thing was how fast Cliff Kingsbury played at Texas Tech over his um, his six years there. They ran the most plays per game in all of college football, Um, whereas last year the Cardinals finished 32nd in offensive plays per game. So, you know, we're going to get a lot more opportunity. We're going to get a lot more space for him. And I loved how Cliff Kingsbury was so good about just getting these guys in in run-after-catch chances, getting the ball out of the quarterback's hands quickly and getting the ball to these guys who can make plays after the catch especially on the interior. You know, you go back and look at the, the guys that really had big seasons in Cliff Kingsbury's offense Is at Texas Tech. It began with Jason Morrow playing on the interior uh, at tight end, and then it was guys who played the slot like Jakeem Grant and Kiki QT, and, you know, it was a running back in DeAndre Washington, and Cliff Kingsbury was always really good about getting the ball to his best players, and David Johnson is the best player on the Cardinals.
0: The only thing that worries me about him slightly is only that we haven't seen him get the workload solely within that offense. We mm-hmm. haven't seen Kingsbury lean on him. So I, I totally agree with you, and especially the Sean Kluger thing I think is a huge point. You know, I've made it a couple times on yeah. this show. You look at how well that running game was orchestrated last year in Denver. He comes in as the offensive line coach in Arizona now. The only thing that would worry me, and this is a very small thing, would be if they kind of rotate Chase Edmonds in. If T.J. Logan gets snaps as a receiver, I don't think that's going to happen. But it's really the sole factor that would give me the slightest bit about doubt about David Johnson. Otherwise, I'd be hammering him right now. I totally agree with you.
2: And, and they have talked about Chase Edmonds a little bit too early on.
0: Mm-hmm. And
2: you know, I was talking to my buddy Rich Rebar uh, at Lord Reeves on Twitter uh, this past weekend. He's like, "I'm taking Chase Edmonds in every single draft because you know you could you could get him in like the." the 17th or 18th round of every single draft. And if this guy carves out, you know, seven to, to nine touches per game, or if David Johnson goes down, I mean, Chase Edmonds could be a league winner.
1: Is there someone who's the reverse, Evan, in the sense that maybe his situation or his coach is going to depress his numbers this year, that you're maybe on on panic watch a little bit, as far as a, a top, top guy? A little
2: concern about Le'Veon Bell, mm. you know. Um, his, his volume projection, because I mean, he's got a chance at like 350 touches. And if he gets 350 touches and he stays healthy, then he's going to be just fine. You know, probably better than fine, but man, he's got a, a long list of, of red flags. First of all, we talked to earlier about plays per game, Adam Gates in Miami. I mean, that was a team that ranked bottom, you know, right at the bottom of the league every year, uh, in offensive plays per game. So look, we want more offensive plays per game because we score more fantasy points when, when our, you know, our offense is on the field more. Um, and you know, the, the, the whispers about, I guess it wasn't even whispers. It was like confirmed that Adam Gase didn't want to sign Le'Veon Bell. You know, I, it's probably not that big a, de- a deal in the end, but it's not something that I want to hear. Um, you know, he, his weight kind of ballooned during a season away from the game, uh, allegedly, you know, he ran behind one of the best offensive lines in the league for five years in Pittsburgh, which I definitely think, you know, allowed him to be so patient. Last year, the Jets' offensive line was 32nd, dead last in adjusted line yards at football outsiders, a, a run blocking metric. And their only significant offseason addition was Kalechi Osemele, who, you know, I think we all love, or at least we used to love. But he, you know, he's on the wrong side of 30 now. He's coming off a career-worst year. Um, and in, in Le'Veon Bell's final season with the Steelers, he set a four-year low in yards per carry, uh, four-year low in yards per touch. He was 26th in uh, Pro Football Focus Elusive Rating, a, a metric that, that deals with uh, breaking tackles. He was 11th, 3rd, and 7th in the three prior years. So he was starting to show, I think, some signs of decline. Maybe the year off will, you know, bring him back with the the fresh legs narrative. But, you know, he's in a much worse situation now than, than he ever was in Pittsburgh.
0: So every year it seems like there's that mid-round running back who can kind of make you a lead winner. Alvin Kamara was that guy. Kareem Hunt was that same guy in, in the same draft class. You know, we've seen other players kind of step into that role I know who you're going to say, but why don't you throw out a couple names outside of Daryl Henderson for who you think that guy can be this year?
2: <laughs> um, in terms of like sleepers, like through, in the middle through late rounds at uh, running back, I think that Latavius Murray uh, is pretty interesting. The Saints gave him a four year, $14 million deal. Not, not that big, but also not insignificant. I think he's got a chance at double-digit touchdowns in the Mark Ingram role. Last year, Mark Ingram averaged over 13 touches per game. Um, one of the best offensive lines in the league, the Saints returned four or five starters from, from an, uh, an offensive line that last year ranked number two in adjusted line yards. And their, their loss was Max Unger, um, who kind of took a step back. and then, But they, they doubled down and they signed Nick Easton to a pretty good deal. And then they drafted Eric McCoy out of Texas A&M who was kind of supposed to be a first round pick. They got him in the second. So I think they're going to be in good shape at center that they, they have become more, you know, increasingly run heavy in recent years since they, um, uh, since they've gotten better on defense. And I think that they're going to increasingly become more run heavy going forward. You know, Drew Brees showed some signs of decline in the second half of last season. And, um, you know, I, I talked to Sean Payton at the combine and
1: I oh, love this inside he, he info. Pretty,
2: right. right. It, it was very late at night, by the way. Um, <laughs> I, I've he heard was, this uh, story. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, and he was pretty, pretty adamant that, um, you know, Alvin Kamara is just not a guy that he wants to be carrying the load. And, you know, if you go back to Mark Ingram's 2017 season, he was right around like 16, 17, 18 touches per game. And No one really wants to draft Latavius Murray. He he seems kind of boring, but man, he is going from the Vikings offensive line to the Saints offensive line. Uh, And he's also been a guy that multiple coaching staffs have identified as a player they want to give the ball to on the goal line. He has 53 carries inside the 10-yard line over the past three seasons. That's one of the highest totals in the league.
1: Evan, you know, you mentioned it's really interesting because you mentioned Sean Payton and not maybe not wanting Kamara to be that guy. Is there anyone whose whose usage rates of players are so illogical you can you almost have to stay away from the team?
2: A specific coach, I mean. All right, yeah. So I, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Definitely with Mike with Mike Shanahan, yeah. especially with the Redskins.
1: Yeah. Is it the Patriots? Is it not the Patriots?
2: The Patriots it, are a good. It one. might be the Patriots.
1: Yeah,
2: it might be the Patriots because, especially with the addition of Damian Harris. Yeah, you know, and yeah. I mean, it seemed clear like in in February, you know, coming off the Super Bowl, that Sony Michelle was kind of going to be the guy entering his his second season. I mean, he kind of earned that. You know, he was a, a guy who averaged what eight over eighteen carries per game over his last ten, scored a ton of touchdowns, was really really good. Again, one of the best offensive lines in the league in, in New England, but he has a setback with his knee. You know he needs the scope, and you know the, the Patriots are smart. They're they're probably going to ease him in. So now we have James White as the clear cut passing down back. We still have Rex Burkhead who is going to be active on game days because he's so good on special teams. Um, Brandon Bolden is going to be active on 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 game days because he's so good at special teams. And now we have the third round pick, Damien Harris, and we have this banged up Sony Michelle. It's, look, in past years, it, it really has been an edge. The, the biggest edge to approaching the Patriots' backfield has been to draft the cheapest running back. In 2017, that was, um, Blount, Blunt, who led the NFL in rushing touchdowns. Um, or I'm sorry, was that 2016? Um, it, it seems like forever ago. Uh, but it was LeGarrette Blunt. You could get him like in the 11th round last year. People were kind of down on James White. He wound up being uh, the best pick. I'm sorry. It was 2016 LeGarrette Blunt, 2017 was Dion Lewis, who was a league yeah. winner at the end of the season. Yeah, and no one wanted Dion Lewis that year. And then this past year, it was James White. A lot of people didn't want him. So uh, And people were really high on Rex Burkhead. Like Rex Burkhead was going like the fifth, sixth round. James White was going in like the ninth or 10th. Or um, so who is the cheapest Patriots running back this year? It's actually probably Burkhead, but I think right now Damian Harris is in a better position um, to, to have a big season than Rex Burkhead. Look at the draft capital, and he's going like in the ninth or 10th round.
0: The other one I would say this year, if it's the Memorial Shanahan Award, is his offspring. Because predicting what's going to happen with that scope position group, good fucking luck. Yeah, I I would hit where Dante Pettis is going right now. I just think he's really good. And I'd still take him there, even if people are assuming he's going to win that job. But even if you think Tevin Coleman is going to be the number one, in quotes, back there, who the hell knows how those snaps are going to go? If Jalen Hurd gets some of them, if Breida gets some of them, I have no idea how that's going to play out. Do you have any feel for who you like there and why?
2: It's just got to be kind of late. You know, there there are yeah. drafts where I'll take Kevin Coleman in the seventh round. You know, I'll take a shot on him in the seventh round. I'll take Matt Breida in like the, the 10th or 11th. I, I I like Matt Breida. I mean, what, are, what a warrior. He's like the Wolverine last year. Could not get him off the field. He's playing on one leg. Dr. Chow last year is like, I don't know how this guy's doing it, you know, but he, he was out there every single week. Um, Jarek McKinnon, apparently not even, not even full go yet uh, Mm. in practice. And, um, you know, Kyle Juszczyk, of course, is still going to be a factor there. I I do like that. You mentioned Dante Pettis, though. He's still pretty cheap. I mean, he's a guy that in early drafts I'm getting a lot of him because, um, you know, he's, he's priced very affordably. And boy, did he flash down the stretch. And that wasn't even with Jimmy G. You know, that was with Nick Mullins and and uh, CJ Beathard. And he was another, he's a guy who um, was really good in the return game uh, in college. And if you look at a lot of the, the receivers that aren't necessarily uh, big guys in the league, a lot of them, so many of them had return success in college, whether it be Deshaun Jackson or T.Y. Hilton or Antonio Brown
0: or Antonio Brown. Odell. Yep, that's Beckham. a Steelers thing.
2: Yeah, it, exactly.
0: Is there anybody else you feel like you're getting a ton of shares of right now? That you're just over and over again in these drafts, you just have them on your team pretty much every single time?
2: Yeah, Alexander Madison. Mm. Um, the Vikings' third-round pick. 221 pounds. Didn't love him coming out of college. Ran like 4.67 at the Combine. He did come back and run 4.55 5 at uh, Boise State's Pro Day. He averaged under five yards per carry in his college career. Just... So few big plays, but I think that he's the, the, the grinder back that the Vikings want. First of all, we know that they want to be run heavy. You know, they fired John D. Filippo immediately went run heavy, bring in Gary Kubiak. Um, they use their first round pick on a center. They use their third round pick on like a grinder, 221 pound running back. Dalvin Cook has missed 17 of 32 games through two NFL seasons. And no one wants to draft Alexander Madison. And this guy could, I mean, I think he's definitely going to slot into the Latavius Murray role. Um, and I think he could get, get like 11 to 13 touches per game, chances at the goal line. Uh, and then if Alvin Cook goes down, he could feature back in a run heavy offense, you know, with a, a very good defense on, on the other side of the ball to keep them in run friendly situations.
1: Is there a quarterback, what, who is the most valuable quarterback from a fantasy perspective right now? Not just points, but making receivers' lives easier.
2: Well, Deshaun Watson obviously mm-hmm. does not make life easier on his offensive yeah. line. He, he makes life harder on his offensive <laughs> line. But, man, the, the, the big-time plays, the big-time positive plays also make life easier on his receivers because you know it gives DeAndre Hopkins you know, an extra little bit of time to get open. And certainly Will Fuller. I mean, when Will Fuller, Will Fuller has over the past two seasons, 11 touchdowns on 60 catches, which is just absolutely absurd. Um, and then Kiki QT, because of the offensive line issues in Houston, he was, he was hyper productive in the five, six uh, or, or six full games that he played last season. So, you know, there's a lot of give and take with the Sean Watson, but, you know, they don't really throw to their backs that much in Houston. They don't have a pass-catching tight end, really. Um, and Deshaun Watson, I think, does make life easier on his receivers. I-, I think that there's something to be said for the fact that he throws such a, ca- a catchable ball. You know, I really think he throws a catchable ball. And and he and because on the plays where he's not getting freaking sacked, yeah. you know, uh, he creates time for his receivers to get open.
0: The fact that you mentioned Deshaun Watson and and the Will Fuller side of this is so interesting because I find myself, to to Kevin's question, I think that guys like Patrick Mahomes, guys like Ben Roethlisberger, guys like even Baker Mayfield are going to be this year. It's not necessarily their own production, but guys that are really willing to throw the ball down the field, stepping outside of what production we've already seen, going into what might happen. So with Baker and Odell or with the Steelers, whoever the number two receiver there is. That's my, I mean,
1: Robsburg had 5,000 yards last year and he lost his number one receiver.
0: Exactly. So it's one of those things where I just think that aggressiveness and just yards, air yards per target for quarterbacks are helpful in kind of figuring out which secondary guys we want on those teams, even if we've never even seen those guys play. Is that something that you tend to look at Evan, do you really like, like? Let's in the opposite side of it. Matthew Stafford and Derek Carr. No thank you with the number two receivers on that team. Am I right. off base to think that's a good metric?
2: Yeah, one no part of Tyrell Williams. <laughs> yeah, exactly, <laughs> year, really. exactly. Yeah, but uh, no, I think I think there's a lot of truth to that, and especially in Pittsburgh, it makes that camp battle for that number two receiver spot uh, really really interesting. I think that Juju totally. Smith Schuster might lead the NFL in targets. This year, first of all, he was number four last year in targets, and now the Steelers are missing the fifth most targets from last year's team in the NFL. So there's, I mean, this guy could push for 200 targets. You know, it's going to be a lot of balls going Juju Smith-Schuster's way. But this is also a team that, you know, in Ben's first year really running the offense on his own, the Steelers finished first in the NFL in offensive, in pass attempts, and fifth in offensive plays per game. So there, there is plenty of room for another guy to step up. Dante Moncrief has been the guy getting the early buzz. He isn't even 26 years old yet. He's been kind of like an underachiever, but he's got that that big time size and speed. Um, and, you know, he's, he's had moments in the past when he's been healthy. When he was healthy, uh, he was a big time touchdown scorer with Andrew Luck, James Washington, just really didn't see a whole lot from him last year after the preseason. He showed something in the preseason, but I think that he never really earned the trust of Ben Roethlisberger. And then Deontay Johnson, who they uh, took in the third round, you know, their history of hitting on uh, wide receiver draft picks makes him interesting. And he's another guy who was exceptional with the ball in his hands in college. Uh, maybe the best punt returner uh, in this entire draft. So, that, that camp battle is, is going to be huge for, for a lot of the reasons that you mentioned.
1: Hey, Evan, when you look at just the fantasy stuff and just the passing numbers or the receiving numbers or the running or rushing numbers, is there a guy you think who isn't appreciated enough in the non-fantasy world for the consistency in the numbers he puts up?
2: Certainly over the years, it has been Larry Fitzgerald. Mm. You know, every year people have predicted his demise. Um, you know, I've been in his camp for the last two, three years, and it's been, it's it's been you know it's been good because you could get him at a, at a really good price.
1: I think that's because every like every week sixteen for the past four years, everybody's like Larry Fitz might retire, and then we just assume he's gonna the next year is gonna be a retirement right. tour, and then he balls out.
2: And it'll be interesting to see how he fits into this new offense because you know we've got a new coach there. They drafted Andy Isabella. They're, they're going to play two slot receivers, right? Andy Isabella and Hakeem Butler both played a lot of slots in college. And I think that Christian Kirk might be their best option overall as a slot receiver. So we're we going to see Larry Fitzgerald move outside. I think that this might be the, the kind of swan song for Larry Fitzgerald, but um, I would say that he has been very underappreciated, you know, Phillip rivers, guys like that um, have been really consistent year over year, not really league winning players, but, you know, guys that have been, you know, reliable from season to season.
0: Let's talk about some league winners very quickly here. You know, I think that when you're looking at who you want to draft every year, it's which guys can I get outside of the top 20 that can end up being inside the top 10. So, at the three big positions, let's start at quarterback. Who do you think outside of the top 20 can end up being a top 10 quarterback?
2: Outside of the top 20. So, we're, you know, Mitch Trubisky is kind of on that fringe. I, I know he you he was in the top 10 last here, year. So I'm just going to say. Yeah, no, he was, he was, he had spiked weeks until he had that shoulder problem that cost him a couple games and he came back and they just, it seemed like they were more hesitant to use him, uh, later in the season, but man, he's got incredible running ability. I mean, I think he could be like a starting running back potentially he's that good of a runner. Um, and I think a lot of people are down on him and I understand because no quarterback in the league, like throws in the crowds more than Mitchell Trubisky. Um, but you know, this is the second year in the offense. It's the second year with all these guys. I mean, they revamped their entire pass catcher court from year one to year two, um, and you know I've noticed that, or that you guys have probably noticed it too, that uh, he's he's he was a he's been a very popular MVP candidate, candidate at least as a long shot, um, which I thought was pretty interesting. But you know his his ascendancy is like tangible, and I mean I, I think that people are expecting him to take a step back. That doesn't really make sense because his his trajectory improved so much in the first year. When you expect the the trajectory to continue upward and their defense probably is not going to be as good as it was last year. And that might put a little bit more on Mitchell Trubisky's plate.
0: I just think the rushing is going to be hard to replicate. I mean, if there's a chance that he kind of has a similar impact in the game rushing-wise, but just the overall volume of it, I think that might be difficult. But I just think that tier of quarterback is so interesting this year because you could talk yourself into a lot of guys in that range because I feel like Dak Prescott, when you're talking about the scheme change guys, has a huge chance to be much better this season and much more efficient as a passer than he's ever been. Lamar Jackson is somebody that, When you throw in how many chances he gets near the goal line, what that offense is going to look like, I just feel like that, and Jameis Winston as well, I I think they're going to lead the league in pass attempts. I think they're going to throw the ball a ton. His receivers are good. Their defense is going to be bad. I just feel like there's a lot of quarterback options this year that you could grab late that could really give you top 12, top 10 production if you get lucky.
2: Absolutely. Lamar Jackson is a guy that I think that people have already written off to some extent as a passer. Like, every time that I mention Lamar Jackson on Twitter, it's like, oh, except he can't throw, you know? Um, Cool. He never needs to throw. (laughs) Yeah, he doesn't even need to throw. Well, at Louisville, he got better as a passer every single year, right? And last year, I mean, he didn't even get first-team reps until week 10. So, I mean, are we really going to judge Lamar Jackson off of, you know, a half-season of of, of first-team reps and – You know, a a wide receiver core that has now been revamped. I love Mark Andrews, by the way. I mean, this dude looks like Gronk at at times, running down the seam. And that's the guy that Lamar Jackson returns with having the best rapport in the Ravens' pass catcher core. Marquise Brown loved him coming out of Oklahoma. Hopefully he will be healthy uh, and ready to roll. Um, And then, um, you know, they're getting back Hayden Hurst, the first-round pick, uh, as well. Uh, and he could probably contribute, you know, of course, in, in, uh, in 12 personnel. But I think that with Lamar Jackson, we, we have, like, a really high floor. And this dude averaged 20 fantasy points per game as a starter last year. He was the uh, quarterback eight uh, as a starter. And then if he does take a step as a passer, like, look out, you know. And I, and I love the connection with, with Greg Roman. They, they got rid of Marty Morningweg. They promoted Greg Roman. This guy has legit history with dual threat quarterbacks. Yeah. Colin Kaepernick had his best seasons under Greg Roman, and so did Tyrod Taylor.
0: How about running backs? Anybody in that range, in the 18 to 20 range, that you feel like has a chance to jump up in the 8 to 10 range?
2: Um, right now, I think that Chris Carson is still being under-drafted. Under he falls into that range. Um, Damian Williams is another guy who we saw him just explode. He had 10 touchdowns over the chiefs final six games. And it's not like he's going to be able to re- replicate that pace, but it, it just goes to show how profitable it can be to have, you know, to just to be playing in that offense, they're getting back to the, the doctor, right. Guard, their offensive line is going to be a little bit better. Um, you know, and if they don't have Tyreek kill for, for any amount of time, then they may have to lean on him more as a pass catcher. I think that you know, right now as a guy that's going like RB15 to RB20 range, Damian Williams, Chris Carson, I think are both uh, pretty interesting picks. Chris Carson just goes way too late because people are worried about Rashad Penny, but that team's going to run the ball so much that, I mean, they both could be valuable. Like you could have Chris Carson as your RB2 and Rashad Penny as your flex play. And I mean, they can both have good games in the same game and you're pulling Mike Davis out of the the running picture. So it goes from a three man backfield to a two man backfield and Mike Davis leaves behind 34 receptions. And you know, if Chris Carson and Rashad Penny at, you know, add those receptions to their repertoire, that that's going to really help.
0: How about receivers 18 to 20 up in the top 10
2: we mentioned, uh, well, Christian Kirk I think is, is a, an obvious breakout candidate we mentioned okay. Dante Pettis, uh, D.J. Moore goes pretty early. I, I like his teammate, Curtis Samuel, you know, as a, a third-year breakout candidate, ran four-three-one coming out of Ohio State, did 80-plus yards from scrimmage and or a touchdown in eight of 13 games last year. He's going to have the clear number two role in the offense this season, which he did not last year. He really was a part-time player until the last six games. And then over the last six games, he averaged 59 snaps per game. I mean, that's... That's a full time player, and I think that you're going to see him a full season of Curtis Samuel as a full time player this year. You could get him like, you know, 11th, 12th round. I like DD Westbrook uh, in Jacksonville as a potential another third year breakout candidate. Last year at 101 targets, and the upgrade from Blake Bortles to to Nick Foles, I think, is going to be big. You go back and look at Nick Foles' history, throwing the slot receivers, his second most targeted receiver in or pass catcher in Philadelphia was Nelson Aguilar. And in 2011, in 2015, uh, 11 starts with the Rams. His most targeted pass catcher was Tavon Austin. So he's got a history of targeting the slot receiver. D. Westbrook gained 90% of his yards on slot routes last year.
1: You know, having a lot of movement these days, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, but you shocked the sports world on Sunday night. You were leaving Roto world. You're doing your own thing. Tell us about that and what it's going to look like.
2: Yeah, so um, Adam Levitan and I worked at Roto World for five or six years. He left uh, immediately as soon as uh, FanDuel and DraftKings and uh, and the daily fantasy uh, and you know business started to explode, which is really really smart. He was able to capitalize on all that. We always wanted to work together again, and we finally got that opportunity this off season. Um, and we started a website called establishtherun.com. You can follow us on Twitter at EstablishTheRun. the run. We brought along with us, Josh Grimes who you guys have had on the show. Uh, and he's you know maybe the premier uh, data analyst in, in the media when it comes to football. And then we also brought Pat Thorman, who's really on the cutting edge of projecting yep. these snaps and um, offensive plays that we've been talking about, you know, as kind of a theme of this show. Um, so we're, we're really excited about the team that we put together and the website, and um, you know, hopefully some, some people will, uh, will follow us there.
0: Awesome. I know I certainly will be. Evan, thank you so much for doing this. I know it's a holiday week. We sincerely appreciate the time. Best of luck with everything. I know we'll be chatting. And to everybody else, thank you guys so much for listening. Enjoy your holiday. Have a beer. Have a hot dog. Watch some baseball. Do some American stuff. And uh, we'll be back next week with our next Big Picture show.
1: All right. Thanks, guys. Awesome, dude. Thanks so much for having me.